As the cost of higher education continues to soar, high school students and their families are increasingly looking for quicker, more affordable routes toward earning a college diploma. One of those options involves dual credit courses that offer both high school and college credit simultaneously. But a new study that's just been released shows those programs are not equally available to all students in Illinois, and even within individual school districts where they are offered, there are widening gaps between racial and economic groups in terms of who benefits from them. Achievement gaps in Illinois' dual credit academic programs. We'll talk about that on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. Achievement gaps in public education are nothing new. They've been documented and studied across nearly every aspect of education, from school funding and reading and math proficiency to high school graduation rates and college attainment. Now, a new study suggests that those same gaps are showing up in a program that is supposed to make college attainment more accessible and affordable for everyone. Dual credit courses that offer students an opportunity to earn high school and college credit simultaneously. The study was conducted by the Illinois Workforce and Education Research Collaborative, or IWORK. That's a research unit within the University of Illinois System's new Discovery Partners Institute, which seeks to build up the state's high-tech economy and workforce. Sarah Cashdollar is a researcher at iWork and the author of the report. I recently spoke with her and started off by asking her why it's important to study those dual credit programs. My center, the Illinois Workforce and Education Research Collaborative, or iWork, is housed within the Discovery Partners Institute. We are a research center that studies education issues we we say from cradle to career so early childhood all the way through college and workforce development um and that is for or our scope is the entire state of illinois rather than just chicago we are at discovery partners institute because much of our research is relevant to dpi's work in terms of their mission to promote equity in workforce development and tech pathways in particular. Um, And so dual credit is one way that schools can prepare students to succeed in those tech pathways, as well as many other pathways. Um, So I work, we have kind of a separate set of stakeholders who are part of our, we call it our research advisory council. And we meet with them annually to share our work and more importantly, to receive input on what our research agenda should be and what projects we should pursue. And dual credit has repeatedly come up as an area of interest for those stakeholders. And so those are statewide researchers, um, policy makers and advocates, um, actual educators from from districts. Um, and so 
so yeah, it, it kind of came out of those conversations. Okay, so dual credit programs, they allow students to earn simultaneously high school credit and college credit. Mm -hmm. um, and from what I read in your, in your report, there is evidence to suggest that uh, getting that kind of a head start, getting that boost in high school uh, increases high school participation rates or, or college participation rates, mm -hmm. college graduation rates, those sorts of things. Um, is there a real strong correlation there? I mean, is it possible for kids like, you know, from my generation or your generation to just graduate high school, go to college and still come out okay? Yes, of course. Um, that's definitely the case that it's possible. However, there has been this really persistent issue where we've it really succeeded nationally at improving college enrollment rates, but college completion rates have remained really flat. So a lot of kids are enrolling and not graduating. So anything we can do to improve those persistence and graduation rates um, is really is really important. I think, I mean, it's, it depends on the college type and the college selectivity, but when you're looking, for example, at low-income students, it's something like half of those who begin a four-year degree end up completing it. Um, okay, so, and that's in, in the study, is that even though participation in these programs seems to be increasing across the board, the disparities between different groups is widening. Yes. Uh, low-income kids, uh, students of color, uh, urban students as opposed to rural students. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, why? what kind of disparities are we seeing and why do you think they're there? Um, sure. So in terms of understanding the... Well, okay, let me start with the disparities. So we found that across the state, there are differences between districts in who is providing the most dual credit and who is growing the most in the dual credit that they provide. And the districts that by and large are providing the most have been and continue to be these rural districts or districts in, in smaller towns southern parts of the state, all areas that are predominantly white um, and tend to have fewer low-income students than urban districts. Um, but the big difference there, I think, is the racial composition of the students that those districts serve. So for some reasons, these rural um, downstate districts that are offering more, and I can't fully speak to why that might be the case, um, on one hand, so you saw the part of the report where there's the overlay of the community college districts. Mm -hmm. It could be related to where those community college districts are located. Um, dual credit depends on that partnership between the high school district and the community college district. Um, and, you know, those partnerships look different for all the different community college districts. It is costly to provide dual credit, especially for community colleges. Um, 
depending on the partnership, it can also be costly for the school district. And so there might be a variation in terms of how community college districts have managed those costs. I'm kind of theorizing here just based mm. on mostly what the literature says. Um, that's an area for future research, probably some qualitative research and interviewing to understand what all of those factors are. Well, it, it just seems like by definition, these dual credit programs are designed for students who are college bound. Um, and you've either been told from an early age that you can be college bound or somehow you think of yourself as being college bound. Um, and I'm wondering if in certain urban areas, in low income areas, low income families, if there's just a general feeling that college is not in the cards for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how do we get over that? I mean, what sort of, I'm thinking, is this beyond the realm of policy? Is this something that is more of a societal issue? Well, I should say, um, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of that, how students think about themselves as college material. That gets to the gaps that we're seeing, even within districts that offer dual credit, there are differences in the students who take it. Um, I don't think that that explains so much the urban-rural divide because a lot of the urban districts, even if they don't have dual credit, they have AP, mm-hmm. which is also rigorous college-level coursework. Um, and so it's more about within the schools, who is taking up the the coursework and a big part of it does seem to be you know how are students thinking about themselves um are they college material um is college in the cards for them is it something they can afford um prior literature has looked at what are the biggest determinants of the racial gaps in districts and who takes school credit and they found um and this is a study cited in the report that the biggest predictor was the racial gaps in accelerated coursework prior to high school. So who are those kids who are in the gifted classes, who are taking algebra in eighth grade, um, who are the kids in the honors program, maybe at the middle school? And it's kind of like that sets the wheel in motion in terms of who is then um either trekked into these higher level courses, who is thinking about themselves as the type of kid who takes these courses, um, who are counselors perceiving to be prepared for these courses. Um, it, it, it seems like uh, I have seen other information in the past, and maybe I'm wrong, but don't we see these same sorts of disparities in these other programs you mentioned, the mm-hmm. advanced placement, the international baccalaureate, um, you know, same sorts of income and uh, demographic disparities there, even gender disparities, I think, in some cases Mm -hmm. uh, that you see in the dual credit programs. Yes. Yeah. And um, I think that in some ways, the the various types of early college coursework um, serve similar purposes and, and they all kind of experience similar issues in terms of who is taking them and the disparities in that participation. 
So from a policy perspective for state government, what more can the state do? And it seems like, and the report mentions the state has done quite a bit, including increasing funding for community colleges to help cover their end of the cost. Uh, What more can the state do? I think, you know, this, like you, like you said, the state has done a lot. Um, Part of what it's done is also expanded eligibility criteria. And so in terms of thinking about who is prepared to take these courses, trying to take a more holistic view and then um, ensuring that counselors and others are advising students based on that more holistic view. Uh, in terms of what more the state can do, I think, I I mean, as as a research organization, our stance is we don't make policy recommendations. We just, you know, provide research um, that others can act on. And so our goal here was just kind of to identify and bring to light the, you know, remaining persistent issues in equitable access and pinpoint kind of where those are are occurring. Um, And there are, you know, many resources that others have produced on how um, different bodies from, you know, from this state legislatures to teachers and schools um, can act in order to improve these disparities. I think the big piece of it is that it has to be intentional in terms of you can't just expand access and assume that everybody will take that up equal equally. There have to be um, intentional concerted efforts to recruit students who have been underrepresented in the past and continue to be. Well, and that I guess that was my final question is, is this a matter of just getting the message out to more populations of kids or subpopulations of kids that uh, post-secondary education is for you too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely part of it and explaining what these opportunities are, how students can take advantage of them. Um, Just the fact that they exist at all in a school might not be something a student knows. Um, Again, that's, that's not really at, at this point, my area of expertise in terms of the, you know, the mechanisms, what's going on in the schools. But, but yeah, I think, I think that knowledge and information certainly goes a long way. That was Sarah Cashdollar, a researcher at the Illinois Workforce and Education Research Collaborative and the author of a study about access to dual credit programs in Illinois. And you've been listening to Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with significant funding from the Robert R. McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock, And as always, thank you for listening.